I want to thank you for being here this morning, and I just want to ask you, if you will, to turn in your Bibles with me to 1 John, 1 John chapter 4, and while this is finishing with the collections, I just wanted you to know that on these many weeks here at 9 o'clock, we have been talking about the new man, and the new man in reference to the church of Jesus Christ. As we understand, the church is not an institution, it's not an organization, it is an organism, it is a life, it is a new man that's in the earth, that God has created through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, much as it was when God created the man and he laid him in the garden, or put him in the garden, there came that point where God laid the man down and he put him into a deep sleep, he opened up the man's side and he took out of the man a rib. And out of that rib, the Lord made a woman, and he presented the woman to the man. And Adam said, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And Paul said that that whole scenario, that whole thing of creation was a demonstration of Jesus Christ in the church. He says that in Ephesians chapter 5. And when Jesus went to the cross, if you will, God laid him down as a sacrifice for our sins. And the Roman pierced his side. God took from that death of Jesus Christ and brought forth from Jesus a new man. The bride of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says and signifies that we are bone of his bone. We are flesh of his flesh. We live because he lives. The church has come out of Jesus Christ. There is a new man that is in the earth. We're supposed to be holy and we're supposed to be unique in the earth. We bear the glory of God and we are the ones that are filled with the Holy Spirit that can go out into the world and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus to men and women everywhere. This church is unique and this church is powerful. The definition of the church is that it is the habitation of God by the Holy Spirit. And without the Holy Spirit, you can say whatever you want. It's not the church. Not everybody that comes to church is the church. Not everybody that's here this morning is the church. You could just be a Christian. You could just be a religious person. You could have been born in the church. You say, well, I've been in the church for 50, 60 years. And you could die and go straight to hell. That going to church doesn't do you any good. You must be born again. And by the Holy Spirit, you are made a part. According to 1 Corinthians 12, you are made a part of the body of Christ. That is a transaction that happens through faith and grace. Not by works, not by merit, but by belief. You recognize I am a sinner and I am worthy of eternal judgment. But God is extending to me mercy through his son Jesus Christ and I want to take it. God has paid for my sins through the offering of his son. And therefore, I want to come to God. When we come to God on that basis, then there is a humility in us. There is a tenderness in us. There is a desire in us. We don't go now and find in fault with everything. We don't go and find fault with the church and complain and murmur and gripe about all of these things that we find. No, we're just grateful to be saved. We're thankful that we can be a part of the body of Christ. And so I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about this aspect of the new man where we get to show Jesus our love. All right. So that's the title of this message, The New Man, Where I Get to Show Jesus My Love. And this is where it's demonstrated. So in 1 John chapter 4, I want to begin in verse 11. 
And it says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. That's the possibility to love right there, the Holy Spirit. For, for us to be told in verse 11, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Only the religious person would say, I'll do that. The naivety to think that any human could answer this call of verse 11 and say, I'll do it shows the absolute ignorance they have of who they are and who God is. You cannot love like God loves. It is an absolute impossibility. So when the Bible says that we should love as God has loved us, he gives us that answer in verse 13. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. It is only by the Holy Spirit That we have the capacity to love like God. Because the spirit is God and he lives in us to love through us. And so this is the evidence of that. And so God dwells in us in verse 12. And his love is perfected in us. That is the ability to do that. He says in verse 14. And we have seen and do testify that the father sent the son to be the savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has to us. God is love. And he that dwells in love dwells in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love cast out fear. Because fear has torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. And you might wonder, well, I don't want to be in fear. I don't want to live under a sense of torment. So I want to be made perfect in love. Now listen, it is the perfect love that drives out the fear. Just by that love being present in us, it removes fear from us. And that fear is a sense of torment. It's a sense of judgment that may come. So the question I think we should ask is, how do I experience and come into this perfect love? And praise God, the Bible answers itself. It's in verse 12. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us and his love is perfected in us. So if you want the perfect love of God in your life, then you have to love other people. And it is the refusal to receive the spirit of God and the indwelling God that keeps us from loving other people. We live in a generation of miserable people, people constantly complaining, people constantly murmuring, people constantly unhappy, people constantly afraid. 
And the answer to that is not me having all of my needs met. The security of my life, please listen to me. The security of my life is not you loving me. But yet that's what everybody seems to be going after. You must care about me. You must care about my needs. You must take care of me. This must be organized for me. This ministry needs to happen for me. That is not going to bring you peace or security. It is your ability to love others that is going to perfect the love of God in you. And when the love of God is perfected in you, then that love drives fear out of you. But seems to be, and Paul warned us in 2 Timothy 3, there's going to be so much selfishness in the end times church. And there really is. But if you want to be free, you want to be free from fear, you want to dwell securely with God, then stop being self-absorbed and start loving other people. And when you start loving other people, then the love of God is going to become perfected in you. And the perfection of that love in you is going to drive fear out of your life. And you, praise God, are not going to be a tormented person. You're going to be free. The love of God is going to set you free. Now it says this in verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. If a man says, I love God... And hates his brother. He is a liar. For he that loves not his brother. Whom he has seen. How can he love God. Whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. That he who loves God. Loves his brother also. And so in verse 20. It's, it's one of the verses I want to focus on this morning about it is the new man where you get to show Jesus your love. How can you say that you love God whom you haven't seen if you don't love the brothers that you see? Your confession of how much you love God is worthless if you don't love one another. Anybody can say that they love God. But the evidence of our love for God is our ability and the way that we love one another. Not the selfishness of my life where I live and everyone else lives to take care of me. But where I get to be able to demonstrate my love for Jesus by loving on you. I love Jesus so much, I want to be with you often. Once a week is not enough for me. Once a month is not enough for me because I love Jesus. Therefore, I want to be with you. And I want to serve you. And I want to minister to you. And I want to help you. And I want to edify you. And I want to inspire you. And I want to build you up. And to the degree that I'm loving God... Is the degree that that love in me is going to increase and it's going to grow. Not because I get better at loving. But because I begin to understand how much God loves me. And it's God. It's it's God. I'm more aware of God in my life. 
I'm more aware of God's love for me in my life, and therefore that love is able to come out from my life. It's not because I become a better lover, but I just become more aware of God and more filled with God and growing in my relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. It increases my love. The increasing of that love is going to be demonstrated not in a confession of what I think about Jesus, but a demonstration of how much I love him by loving on you. So what's the love factor in your life? Who's got needs? Who's suffering? And what are you doing about it? Or are we just kind of tunnel visioned into my own problems? And I'm wondering why the church isn't taking care of me. And I'm not fitting in and I'm not connecting. There has to be a love for Jesus that eradicates all of that. All of that from our life. So I want to talk about this in three areas this morning. In this love relationship or showing my love to Jesus. Number one, I would break it up this way. It is in the church and it is to the church that I get to show my devotion to Jesus Christ. Now listen, guys, you don't have to let this affect your heart. You don't have to allow it into your spirit. You can continue to live the life you live for the rest of your life. But you can't get away from verse 20 of 1 John 4. And that is the test of your love for God. And it is here in the church that I get to show my devotion to Jesus Christ. My devotion to him by showing my devotion to you. If I'm the kind of person who's self-absorbed, I get offended, I get hurt, I'm weak, I'm, I'm, I'm self-conscious of everything else, then I can be in and out of churches all the time. I'm just there until something goes in a direction I don't particularly like, and then I'm out of there. But wait a minute, what's my devotion to Jesus? That's the question that I have to ask. In Romans chapter 12 There's some scriptures here that Paul talks about, and these are all in the context of the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says this in Romans 12, 3, I say through the grace given to me, to every man that is among you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another, and we have gifts that are differing according to the grace that's given to us. So there's prophecies, and do that according to your faith. There's ministry, there's teaching, there's exhorting, there's the gifts of giving, there's the ruling, there's the mercy. Then he says this in verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor what is evil. Cleave to what is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. In honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. Continuing instant in prayer. Distributing to the necessity of the saints. Given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. How rare is that? Rejoice with them that rejoice. Weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind. One toward another. Don't mind high things. Condescend to men of low estate. 
Be not wise in your own conceits. Don't recompense to men evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it's possible with you, live at peace with all men. Don't be a troublemaker. Don't disturb it, you know. There's a situation in the church in Corinthians, and one of the first things that Paul opens up with is this conflict that was going on between two women in the church. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Verse 10, now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you and that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it's been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. This shouldn't be. Not, not in the house of God. This shouldn't be. I mean, good night, guys. We're on our way to hell. And the grace of God was, it, it, you know, just came across our path and God gave us mercy and we're going to heaven. We've been forgiven of everything. Why should we have contentions among ourselves and divisions among ourselves? And so it is here in the, in the church where I get to show my devotion to Christ. And one of the greatest ways I get to show that is by loving, one, loving you. And as I've often said in the church, it's easy to love those who love me. But my greatest opportunity to show my love for Jesus is to love those who are persecuting me. Those who are giving me a difficult time. Those who are harassing me or gossiping about me or slandering me. And my ability to bless them. To pray for them. To reach out to them. To offer mercy to them. To help. Let's work together. Let's be at peace. My, my effort to do that is where really the love of God could be demonstrated in my life. Because it's easy to love people that are good to us. It is here in the local church, the local church where I get to demonstrate this devotion to Jesus Christ. Right here. Because it's right here in the local church with the people that you meet with on a regular basis. And it's these guys in here that have the opportunity more than others to offend you. The church down the road and the people in it are probably not going to offend you today. The church in India, the church in China, the the church in Ireland, it's not going to offend you today. It's right here. It's us. We have the potential of offending one another today, upsetting one another today, hurting one another today. And so it's so easy for me to say, oh, I love the church of Jesus Christ. Oh, I love the church. I love the saints that are in heaven. Or I love the underground church in China. Great. What about this church? What about you? That's the real test of my life. That's the real test of it. Because this is the church that the Holy Spirit has grafted me into, if you will, in that local assembly. And this is where I can demonstrate my devotion to Jesus. The word of God commands us to love each other. There will be Christians I'll never meet in this world. I'll meet them in heaven. I'll never meet them in this world. So the real commandment of that scripture to love each other bears mostly upon my opportunity to love you. Not the Christian out there I'll never meet. But you, 
This is the authenticity of my love for God. We're called to pray for each other, encourage each other, admonish each other, greet each other, serve each other, teach each other, accept each other, honor each other, bear with each other, forgive each other, sing to each other, submit to each other, be devoted to each other. And the Holy Spirit puts us in a local congregation where my opportunity of demonstrating the love of Jesus Christ can be fleshed out right there. It's my opportunity. This is what membership in a local body of believers is all about. I can't do this to other believers in a world I'll never meet. Comments such as, I do not fit in. I am not happy. I am not getting fed. Only reveals the bankruptcy of a life that believes it loves God, but is so far from actually loving Him. Because to love God is not my obsession for you to include me. My love for God is my obsession to include you. Not for you to love me, but for me to love you. Not for me to find out what's wrong and gripe about it. But for me to see things that are wrong and weak, and because I love Jesus, I'm going to make it better. I'm going to make it stronger. I'm going to serve Jesus in that area of weakness. And as I said, the greatest demonstration of these things is not those that are walking in what we would call a virtuous life. What if, what if a brother or sister among us falls? What if they fall into sin? And it's the love of God and, and, and the people of God that comes to them and helps them. The Bible teaches us this in Galatians chapter 6. I'd like to read that with you. Because I believe there's a very important thing here that we should understand. In Galatians 6 he says in verse 1. Brothers, if a man is overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual... Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So if you see somebody that's overtaken in a fault, somebody that's fallen in sin, and you're not spiritual, don't handle it. Don't deal with it. Because you're going to wreck it. And not only are you going to wreck that life, you're going to wreck your life. A spiritual person, when they see somebody that's in sin, is going to do several things. Number one, they are going to restore. They're not going to gossip. They're not going to slander. They're not going to talk about it in a prayer request. They're going to restore them. And they're going to restore them in a spirit of meekness, which is humility. Considering themselves, understanding, I'm no better than you. I'm no better than you. And in the church world, it is difficult to find somebody who really believes that they're awful without Jesus Christ. Most church people in America come from good backgrounds and good upbringings and think that they're basically a good moral person. Oh, yes, I'm a sinner, we would say, but I'm not a sinner like them. But the spiritual person says, not only am I a sinner like them, I'm a sinner worse than them. They consider themselves and they recognize the fact that I could also be tempted in this very same thing. Bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. That's what they're going to do. They're not just going to point it out. 
They're not going to just say, hey, you've fallen in sin, but they're going to say, I want to carry you. I want to help you through this. I want to be with you. And if any man thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. And that's another aspect of the spiritual person. They don't think they're anything. They don't think they're anything. They're humble. They're able to serve. And that's the spiritual person. And if you're a spiritual person, help people that fall. But if you're not spiritual, then you, for your own safety, don't get involved in it. Because it's going to be destructive for you and for them. Our lives should be lived as the means of God's grace poured out. We should desire to see such mighty deliverances of God in one another's lives. Love is more than an emotion. It is a duty of faith. It's an act of the will that is given to us by the Holy Spirit to forgive those who have offended us and sinned against us. Our ability to endure afflictions, our ability to endure complications, contradictions, and even divisions for the glory of God. Our ability to bear with one another, that simply means put up with it. You just put up with it. You just deal with it. You keep going on. This is what it is. A key element in every historical revival that changed culture and swept thousands into the kingdom of God was always a keen sense of mercy, grace, unity, and forgiveness within the body of Christ. And then the religious rose up in it and stifled that grace and that mercy and grieved the Holy Spirit who was bringing thousands into the kingdom. As fast as the revival would flood in, it would begin to be quenched by the presence and the actions of the religious. Don't be that. Be spiritual. Walk with God. The second thing that I would say in this is that it is where I can show my devotion to Jesus Christ by the cross. I can show my devotion to the cross, the crucified life. Tozer said this, if Christians stand alone... Their only problems are personal. But as soon as other Christians join them, they now have social problems as well. True, the members of the church are redeemed human beings. But that fact does not make them any less human. Differences of taste, temperament, opinion, moral energy, and speed of action among the religious people in close association can create a certain amount of friction in the group. It is the crucified life that keeps the peace. The crucified life that keeps the peace. I can say that I love Jesus. I can say that I want to love others as God has loved me. And there was no greater demonstration of God's love for me than the cross of Jesus Christ. That while I was a sinner, he died for me. And this is where I get to show my devotion to the cross of Jesus Christ. This is where I get to express how much Jesus' death and sacrifice has really impacted me and made a difference in my life. And that is the opportunities that I am given to sacrifice for you. And the greatest sacrifices of that happen when we might suffer some of the greatest persecutions. According to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 
I'll tell you what, let's do this. Go to Proverbs 18. Let's go here quickly. In Proverbs 18, I want to read this passage of scripture that talks about offenses. Because Jesus said, in this world, you will have offenses. But blessed are those who are not offended in him. In Proverbs 18, verse 19, it says, A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. And their contentions are like the bars of a castle. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. Every one of you in this room understand what it means to be offended. Every one of you have been offended. You have sensed and you have experienced the walls that you built up in your life because of that offense. You understand by experience your ability to shut somebody out of your life because of something that they did to you. And Proverbs is saying a brother that's offended is very difficult to win. It would be easier to go into a city that is well fortified and take it down than to restore this relationship with a brother. So what does that mean for us? If we're going to be great Christians and, and, sh- and, and really show our love for Jesus Christ and not just have this confession, then it means this. Then I, the offended one, possess all the power. I can forgive you or I can hold on to it. And if I live by the cross, I'm going to forgive you. If I live by the cross, I'm going to forgive you. And that is my way and my opportunity to show my devotion to the cross of Jesus Christ. And in some manner, some form, be able to love others as God has loved me. Even when somebody has sinned against me. Truly, this is the answer to the offended brother. The offended brother has to take up the cross and forgive But watch the offended if he has the authority to act. And you will see that he never acts like God. We don't. Don't think that we do. It is only God in us. It is only the spirit of Christ in us that acts like God. And he, through his grace, dictates that action of forgiveness through us. But if I have the power to act, I will not act like God. Only God lays his life down. The cross is the expression of the heart of God. It was an event in Jesus' life. But it was the character of Jesus' life the whole time. He lived out the cross. Before he demonstrated the cross openly. The way of the cross is the most unnatural way of fallen men. The command to carry our cross and follow Jesus. Is the most elementary duty of the believer. But it is only possible by the grace of God. The principle of the cross is far far more than the denial of self Or the self-life or judgment. It is the means of grace, love, restitution by the victim to those who have brought the offense. The greatness of a church and its people is not measured by our ability to discern error. 
are those who are false, but it is our ability to love. For Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. It's not my ability to see something wrong with you. But the great test of Christ in me is what I do with you when I see something wrong with you. And how I bear that and strive to help you. The third aspect, and I close with this. It's where I get to show my devotion to the cause of Christ. So I love God. I can easily say that. I love Jesus. I can easily say that. I can say I love Jesus more than anything. I can easily say that. But the only proof of it is how I love you. I want to go to heaven when I die. I want to be with Jesus when I die. Oh, how many people say that? But they hardly ever go to church. They're hardly ever around the body of Christ. So easy to say that I love Jesus and I want to be with Jesus when I die. But the evidence of my desire to be with Jesus is my desire to be with you. And I love the cross. I love what Jesus did for me on the cross. I love that. He gave his life for me and he sacrificed himself for me. Well, my evidence of that love are the opportunities I have to sacrifice myself for you. But we have to come into an area of caution now. Lest Satan gain ground in the body of Christ. And this is very important. And it's not a contradiction to the message. But you must hear it. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that Satan himself appears as an angel of light. He doesn't come ugly. He comes beautiful. He was a beautiful angel. And he comes testifying of Jesus. And he comes testifying of Christ. And he comes and testifies of his love for God. And how much he loves you. And he knows the Bible. And he knows it so well. But he's come for a purpose of destruction. Therefore, my love for God is demonstrated in a local body where I get to live for the cause of Jesus Christ. And I am able by living for the cause of Jesus Christ to not be sympathetic with the enemy of Jesus Christ. We have to understand this. Because this is where people don't really understand love. So I want you, if you will, to remember in Ephesians chapter 3, what is the great cause of the church? What is the great purpose of Jesus Christ? And the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 3 that God has in all of eternity desired this thing called the church, this new man. It's what he's always wanted. And it will be through this new man, apart from which God cannot do it, it will be from this new man that the wisdom of God, the manifold wisdom of God will be demonstrated to principalities and powers. This man filled with the Holy Spirit will be the means of destruction and exposure to Satan everywhere the church goes. That's the cause. And Satan being a good villain and being a good enemy 
and being very strategic understands what do I have to do. I can't stop God. I can't stop the Holy Spirit. So I will strive to grieve him in the people in whom he lives. And so Satan will strive to come in and so discord in that body and among that body create friction in it so that the free life and the joy and the happiness of Christianity will not be recognized and and Christianity will take on a, a religious overtone of soberness and somberness and depression and rules and regulations and there's not a lot of joy there and there's not a lot of fun there and there's not a lot of happiness there and there's not a lot of gladness there when the Bible says that the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So Satan says, I'll bring conflict into it. Now, any of us could cause conflict, right? Any of us could gossip. We've all done it. Any of us could slander. We've all done it. Any of us can sin. We've all done it. Is that what we're talking about? No. Because when we fall into such a state as that, where maybe we're in a season where we're just kind of griping and complaining and we're murmuring, and then somebody from Galatians 6 that's spiritual comes to my life and says, Lee, you're murmuring and you're griping and you're causing division in the body of Christ. And if God be in me, I'm on my face Asking forgiveness. And I'm making it right. And whoever I hurt, I'm going to clear them from it. Whoever I've sinned against, I'm going to confess it. Because somebody spiritual from Galatians 6 stepped into my life by the grace of the Holy Spirit to save me from hurting and wounding his body. And maybe I knew I was doing it. Maybe I didn't know what I was doing. But the Spirit of God in me brought me to humility and repentance. But what about the person that doesn't? What about the person that doesn't repent? What about the person that continues to carry a chip on their shoulder? What about the person who continues to gripe, who continues to complain? Oh, well, we just need to love. Yeah, we do. We need to love. But we need to love in such a manner that we do not allow the cause of Jesus Christ to be jeopardized by that murmuring. I'll give you the scriptures. It's found in this. Romans 16, verse 17, I beseech you, I beg you, brothers, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. There are some people in the house of God who don't belong in the house of God. And if they're not going to repent, And they're going to continue to cause division. They need to be avoided. They need to be marked. That means you talk about them. And you mark them. And you avoid them. Boy, that sounds harsh, but that's Romans 16, 17. Now, you've got to understand, this is not something that happens in the first thing or even a little season of somebody's life. 
This is somebody who has refused to repent. They have refused to acknowledge what they do. And they continue to hinder. 1 Corinthians 3.3 For you are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions. Are you not carnal and walk as men? There are those in the body of Christ that are that way. They're carnal. And they walk with strife and division and envy. Envy. I envy that. I envy this. I envy that over there. I wish I had this. Why isn't that for me? Why don't they make this for me? Why don't they do that for me? This constant sense of envying. In James 4.10, it says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaks evil of his brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law... You are not a doer of the law, but a judge. James 4.1 also says, where do wars and fightings come? He said, they come from among your own selves. You lust, you desire to have, and have not. Paul said to the Galatians, who are those that have bewitched you and troubled you? I wish that you would amputate them from your body. Remove them, cut them off. Because they are bewitching you. And if you're not careful, they'll bring you back to the foundations that were destroyed. So that there could be the life of Jesus Christ in you. And you could continue to walk in the liberty of the Holy Spirit. And this is the cause of Jesus Christ. That the body is one. That there's love in the body. That there's grace in the body. That there's mercy in the body. Nobody in the body is perfect. And so we're all subject to correction. We're all subject to that. And when Jesus lives in us, then we want to love one another. We want to serve one another. We don't always get it right. We want to show our devotion to the cross of Jesus Christ. But oftentimes the flesh in me rises up and I don't make the sacrifice that I should make. And Daniel comes to me and says, Pastor Lee, I just saw something happen and I love you, and I, I, I just don't believe that this was the proper behavior according to the word, and I just want to help you with this. How can I pray with you? Is your heart okay? What happened? How, what, what, what are you suffering from in this? Because it's the way you act, but it's not the way Jesus acts, and I'm smitten in my heart, and I want to repent, and I want to do right, and I want to be right, and I cry for the grace of God to help me, and God restores us. That, that always happens in the body of Christ. But the cause of Jesus Christ is the most important thing. What he died for, what he rose for, what he lives for. His glory in the earth. And call you can come up. His glory in the earth. His desire for us to be one. His desire for us to be in love. His desire for us to forgive. His desire for us to be a people in whom and through whom the Holy Spirit can move without any type of hindrance at all. I want that. I believe you want that. So be careful about the cause, because Satan doesn't want that. And we have to be careful that we help each other walk in the cause of Jesus Christ. Amen? Father, I pray that you will help us to be be able to demonstrate our love for you, as well as confess it. It's a very easy thing to say that I love you. 
But it's another thing to demonstrate that love on people. And my appreciation of the cross by sacrificing myself for people and living for your glory, striving to keep the body of Christ focused upon you and right and loving one another and staying in unity. That's a difficult matter. So we fall before you and we ask for your grace and your mercy in our life because we confess as believers we can't love like you love. We can't forgive like you forgive. So we ask for the God of love to live in us. We ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to be in us. To give us strength and grace to love, to serve, to care, to grow, to be perfected in love, to be free from fear and torment, to magnify your name in this earth. If there was ever a generation that needed a true church, it's this generation. Help us, Father, to demonstrate that in this great hour.